this is Ashley Farod, and you're listening to Behind the Bio, the podcast about the people behind the professions. In this particular episode, Ben Folks is my guest. Now, Ben is the chairman of Ray White. Prior to that, he was the chief executive officer. Prior to that, the selling principal. And prior to that, well, you'll just have to tune into this podcast and hear his story. We talk about various things, predominantly what led him into the world of real estate and ultimately what has held him there. We also discuss the change of the real estate scene in Canberra and how that has modified over the last 10 years or so and what's likely to happen in the future as we get into slightly uncertain times. We also touch upon the Zango project, specifically diving into what it was that made that project kick off in the first instance and how opportunity is sometimes born out of different things. If you're interested in the world of real estate, business leadership and if you're interested in what it is that you can do that essentially benefits other people, then this most certainly is the podcast for you. I'd like to thank the Coordinate Group for making this podcast, as well as actually all of the episodes in it possible, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Ben Fox. Oh, and before I go, I'm sorry about my dog in the background. He really liked Ben, so he kept on walking around and tip-tapping across the kitchen floor. That's just what happens when you have animals. I hope it's not too much of a nuisance. Enjoy the podcast. Hi Ben, how are you going? Good, good, thanks Ash. Um, thanks for coming over. I, I didn't even realise that we are technically neighbours and actually even closer than I was expecting from our conversation a moment ago. Yeah, yeah, just down the road. Especially when you said, hey, I've seen you gardening from time to time. I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute, how close do you live? <laughs> um, Stalker. Exactly. But it's nice to have you over. I wanted to have a chat to you uh, for quite some time. There was a moment uh, we were doing a podcast uh, for the University of Canberra, the um, Business at UC campaign. Yep. And there was one particular thing that you said at the end of that conversation, uh, which probably for you was a throwaway line, but I'm like, that is an interesting approach and not one that I was expecting to, to come out. So I'll just introduce that because essentially what we're doing is we were talking with a number of different business leaders and... I kind of just went at the end and said, is there anything else that you want to talk about in terms of what's happening for you in the future? And, you know, the rest of them kind of went around and talked about practically their CV of the things they're going to do, right? Which is one way of doing it. And that's absolutely fine. But when we got to you, you kind of, rather than saying, I'm going to do this and this and this and this, you kind of said, well, my main aim is to essentially create business and opportunities in such that it essentially helps other people. To, I'm paraphrasing here, mm, but more mm. or less to that. Mm. And I kind of thought, that's interesting, because you had every opportunity to, to boast or gloat, you know, especially when there's other people comparing kind of their next future credentials to be. Mm-hmm. And yet you kind of went in a different path, which I really thought was very nice. And ever since then, I thought I need to have a chat with you and, and talk about that, because I think in many ways, that must be somewhat of a philosophy of yours that's underpinning all the things that you do. But before we get to that, why don't we start at the very beginning? Let's say you're at a party and somebody doesn't know you and they say, oh, nice to meet you, Ben. By the way, what do you do for a living? You know that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you tend to say? Uh, I typically say um, uh, we run the Ray White Canberra, the Ray White businesses in Canberra um, and then uh, a few other things in adjacent areas. So 
That'd be the simplistic way. Probably a better way to say is I'm a real estate agent, but that doesn't necessarily capture what I do day to day now. Yeah, fair enough. And I guess because you work in that industry, the cool thing about that is that everybody's got an interest in real estate, right? It's it's quite a thing for comparisons and actually all Australians altogether. So I'm presuming that's enough. And then people will start going, right, okay, so what do you think of... This oh, particular sure, home, yeah. For sure. What did that sell for? What was? What would this be worth? Um, it's a trap. It's yeah, a, it's trap, a trap, trap for an agent. Uh, yeah, you but know, I'm sure you enjoy that, though, right? Yeah. Well, everyone's interested, and everyone's got a, a point of view. Mm. Um, I tend to learn more from the conversations, probably more than I contribute. But yeah, um, yeah. Everyone's got an interest in real estate for sure. So it is. It's a conversation starter. So tell me how you got to that point. So real estate altogether. I mean, did you always want to work in that? Is that something you fell into? Like take me back to say school years. What were you yeah. thinking you were going to become at that point? Well, for some reason, I wanted to be a, um, a dentist back at school. That's a, that's a good job. Yeah, I, I can't really work out why. Um, dentist, lawyer, and then I actually applied to be a physiotherapist when I finished right. uni. Um, and I got a bit despondent because I missed out on the entrance by like point one. Um, and I'd done pretty well at school. Um, and about that time as well, I was playing a fair bit of rugby um, and got some opportunity to play some representative footy and go into some academy programs. So I was sort of exploring that. Um, ended up studying a business law degree um, at UC, playing some rugby, um, working in a pub. Um, and when that all sort of – I finished my degree and um, actually travelled for a little bit to play some rugby in the States – uh, came back and landed in recruitment purely by coincidence. I went to find a job and they offered me a job with them. Mm. Um, that was mainly kind of selling and account management and I enjoyed that. Um, but I had this, I guess I'd built some ambition around finance and Macquarie Bank just always appealed to me in terms of their philosophy and their culture. Um, you know, you could argue that that's not always, um, uh, you know, there's pros and cons to everything, but yeah. Um, so I applied for and got a job there in their business banking division. Um, and coincidentally, the accounts that I ended up managing were um, mainly commercial real estate agents and strata managers, a few residential, but um, hmm. more on that side. And all in Canberra? No, this is in Sydney. Oh, right, we, okay. we moved up to Sydney, my then girlfriend, now wife. Yeah. Um, and so I learned a bit about the industries and I'd had no exposure to property before. My family wasn't into it. The, the house we owned was the one we lived in type thing. Um, and got a sense of the, I guess, the opportunity in that space. Um, and one of my very, very good clients at the time owned um, a business which was then Ray White Canberra. Um, Doug O'Mara is his name. And uh, it just so happened that my wife needed to move back to Canberra to study physio mm-hmm. um and presumably doug, at uc as well at UC. Yeah, doug, um, <laughs> doug was in the process of growing his business and um gave me a job as his glorified pa slash general manager when, when, when about are we talking about this is like period. 2009 okay great because yeah, that gives people yeah. an indication in terms of what was happening the property market at that point yeah. yeah but i mean i was a very very reluctant real estate agent i remember saying um you know, I'm happy to come work for you, but at no time will I be a residential real estate agent. It, it wasn't uh, – I didn't think it necessarily a noble profession. It, it didn't really appeal to me um, the way that I understood it. Is it because you were thinking about it purely as essentially a salesman kind of position? Yeah, very, yeah. very much and, and kind of that uh, this terminology in, I guess, sales in, in general, but real estate of like catch and kill, like you just jam yeah. deals together at any cost and yeah. – 
you don't necessarily look after people. Um, and I didn't like that. That that wasn't really aligned to who I was. Like my previous sales roles had all been um, really relationship management rather than um, you know selling yeah. or hardcore you know business development as such. Um, but I had some exposure to a couple of other mentors in that time with Doug, and they introduced me to. Um, uh, sort of relationship management into residential and um, one of the, the quirks jumping around a bit of being at Macquarie Bank during the GFC is that we all own shares in Macquarie Bank and because when you own shares in a public company that you work at, there's staff trading windows mm-hmm. and if you're outside of a staff trading window, you can't sell your shares. So if you remember the GFC, 2007, yep. things are tanking. We've all got margin loans because not on massive amounts, but, you know, that was the philosophy. Um, and you couldn't sell your shares. So any kind of wealth or, you know, savings that I had got eaten up. And yeah. one of the great things about um, getting into real estate is that you don't need a, a big asset base or a big pool of capital um, to get in and, and start building a business. So I realised that, found a business model that I felt resonated with with me and my values. And um, yeah, Ray White was Ray White Belconnen at the time and, and that was born. So mm. there was three of us, myself, my brother Sam um, and still business partner Scotty. Um, and we got stuck in and, um, you know, lots of twists and turns and there's now about 120 of us and um, <laughs> the business is Ray White Canberra and it's uh, about 80% residential, 20% commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've also got a, a really strong joint venture in the mortgage broking space. And so just roughly, if we're looking at the sector right now as far as real estate agencies go, both uh, national ones, also franchises, and if that's what they are, and kind of independent ones, where in the pecking order, so to speak, would Ray White sit? So on a, I guess on a national level, um, Ray White has about 12.5% market share, mm-hmm. which probably doesn't sound like a lot, but... It's more than twice as much as any other real estate brand in the country. Um, and I love I love the the group. Like it's 120 years old. It's still family owned. It's now fourth generation, and you've got this really long term kind of generational thinking which drives them. Um, you know, I have a bit of a joke with Dan, who runs the business now. He's the fourth generation, and he's like he's got this amazing thing. It's not like he can ever sell it though. So it's it's this really interesting. Um, uh, environment where where you just make good long term decisions, um, and you know being in business that's not always easy to do because you can chase the quick wins or um, or try to find a dollar here or there, um, and then locally um, in terms of brands within Canberra um, we're in the top three brands by volume, yeah, um, and sort of. Well, we are growing in that space, but still with plenty of work to do. So yeah, because I've noticed. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong too, but you know, you mentioned that twelve percent figure, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it does when you really think of the whole volume side of things. But am I right to assume that in the last somewhere between five to ten years, there's been quite an increase in kind of small independent agencies? Mm-hmm. I mean, I won't name all of them here, but you know, even top of mind here, I know there's at least three or four. A lot of them are agents who've left other businesses and set up their own, but under their own name or under mm. their own brand. Mm. Mm. And am I right that there, there has been kind of an increase or a move away from kind of larger yeah. conglomerate of agencies to some of these, I don't know if I can call them boutique, that's probably not the right term, but you know what I mean, smaller independent yeah. uh, providers. Yeah, that's been a trend for probably the last 10 years, really. Right. It's kind of started and um, my... Um, 
my view probably at that time was that the middle was going to disappear. So the bigger it get bigger, um, you're able to offer a better culture, better experience, better financial returns mm. um, to people who valued leadership and culture in that space. Um, and then it was going to go very, very small because it used to be that you needed big infrastructure and big sales teams and yeah. um, and then that all became cloud-based and online and, um, you know, the compliance got got manageable on a smaller scale. So yeah, it's like a, it's like a barbell now. There's there's sort of the bigger offices that provide that service offering and then the smaller for people who want to run. Typically, it's a bit more of kind of a lone wolf for, yeah. you know, one or two people. They, they kind of want to do their own thing. Yeah, and I probably think it's one of those things too that if, you know, one independent agency has success, uh, there probably is like in any other business quite a few copycats kind of thing looking at it going, wait a minute, yeah. if they can do it, all I need is a, an edgy brand and something else and create that. But of course, there's a lot more than goes into it. Yeah. Now, I don't I don't have any kind of idea of how successful the lone wolf things are. If they're doing well, is it difficult for them? Is it, is it not? No idea. I, I can't tell because I'm not in that world. But they seem to be a vast majority of them existing and, and going. So in that sense, it seems like there's enough, or at least has been until now, enough kind of market to accommodate both exactly the, the niche and the kind of larger. Um, yeah, and it's, I mean, it's somewhat market driven as well. The market has been so hot for the last, well, yeah. not the last six months, but the two years prior to that. Um, and uh, that encourages that that thinking typically within agents. There's sort of that movement towards doing their own thing. And then as things get harder, days on market stretch out, um, you know, finding buyers isn't just a matter of putting up a sign at the open home and people turn up, all those sorts of things. And then there sort of tends to be a bit of a transition back. So, um, but yeah, I mean, interesting time. It's a very, very fluid, very dynamic industry to be a part of. Yeah. Um, and probably, you know, fortunate that we, we stumbled into it really. Yeah. Was there any point, uh, you know, in the last, what, what do you say, it's like 2010 or something, right? But that's mm-hmm. just in the last 20 years that you thought, you not that you haven't made the right decision, but perhaps you know that kind of toying with the idea of what if you didn't go down this path, and because you know with the degree that you had and mm. the interest that you had, including <laughs> wanting to be you know a dentist and ultimately in physio, but kind of the health end of it, and of course the sports stuff. I'm, I'm sure you've got them in slightly different compartments these days. But was there any point where you kind of said, well, what would I have done if it wasn't real estate? Is there something else that would have? pulled me in. And I don't mean this as a means of trying to find any points of regret or anything, but I understand that we all make choices in life. I just want to see if there have been other ones that have been presented in front of you. Yeah, I, I consider that a lot. Um, I'm unfortunately somebody who gets bored quite easily. Um, so I'm always kind of pushed to, to be chasing something or working towards, you know, an ex-goal or, or ambition. And that's kind of why we've started probably new offices and new joint ventures and, and those sorts of things. So I think it's it's been inherent with my personality to do that. Um, I think I'm lucky I found something that I've been fairly good at. And um, actually, Brian White gave me the best advice on this. He said, so Brian was Dan's father, third generation. He's the bloke who took it from like one office to a thousand. Absolute legend. Um, he's still around. He's the chairman of the group. Um, he said, when I was coming through, all of my, um, a lot of my mates and peers who were running businesses they'd get their business to a successful level and they'd look across and they'd see somebody else's business that they thought was, you know, sexier or, you know, more interesting or more challenging. They think I'm going to go and do that, right? He said the problem for all of them is that they were standing at the top of a mountain looking at the top of another mountain. What they didn't factor in was the descent 
the valley and then the climb. And, you know, in some cases that took them, they might have got there, but it took them 15, 20 years. Mm. Um, and they'd kind of thrown out all the really hard work they'd done to get to where they were. So I sort of sat with that a bit. And for me, it was then trying to work out how do I, how do I take what we've built and this great team and this culture that we're really proud of and, and not reinvent because that's too cliche, but how, how do I derive sort of purpose from that? And, you know, initially it's probably back to the comment you referenced at the beginning, which, um, our ambition is to be the best place on the planet to build a career in real estate. We think that um, real estate agents are generally pretty good, not everyone, but generally pretty good um, community citizens. Most of them are the type who they'll sponsor the school fate or, you know, they'll employ a, a part-time mum to work in their business with them. Um, they're out and about doing good um, as much as they're collecting checks. So that that was sort of part of it. And then it's more about you know, what are some kind of community initiatives you can get involved in. So we sponsored the Brumbies last year, which was exciting for me. Um, couldn't play for them, so but we got to sponsor them, so that's good. Um, and then some more, um, you know, we're involved with um, actually somebody who I met. I met Francis Owusu on that podcast with you, mm. who runs Culture Break. We're now a major corporate partner of Culture Break. Oh, nice. Um, and, uh, you know, he does just great work in the community with youth and mental health and resilience and some things that, that resonate with me and with our business. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so so I guess it's, it's taking where we are and trying to build off that rather than throw it out and start again. Um, and fortunate, I guess, in that regard that uh, – We've got. I've got very good business partners, and they're good at the stuff that I'm not good at, which is typically around detail and um, not necessarily execution, but it's actually that real minutia. Like yeah. I struggle with that; it frustrates me, um, and it takes That's because me, you get bored easily. Get, I get bored, yeah, but it, and it takes me away from like uh, I've sort of leaned in more over time to crafting a vision and um, refining a strategy and working out how we're going to get there backed by probably the analyst skills that I've got at Macquarie. So it's kind of this, yeah, interesting little mix. So when you look for potential employees that are real estate agents, what is it that you look for? I mean, you've mentioned some of the qualities in terms of people that might have a slightly broader kind of agenda than just themselves. So that's a given. But are there particular qualities now that you've been in the game for such a long time that you know make a good and successful real estate agent and by success i don't just mean that they're able to move property quickly but rather they have repeat customers loyalty friends in that people will respect them you know that that whole entire thing yeah so yes is there a specific things that you would kind of pick out in people and go this is how i know what a good real estate agent is yeah a few things come to mind i mean one of our philosophies is about valuing relationships over transactions and to me, that typically comes back in an interview sense to, to warmth. Like, is there a warmth yeah. to this person? Like, are they actually interested and present or are they just trying to, you know, get something done and move on? Um, you know, that's an intuitive process rather than a scientific one. I mean, you could do a psychology test on them, but that's questionable. Yeah, <laughs> we, we have done some of that in the past and it's been a bit hit and miss. Yeah, I, I've one of my very first jobs that I went to and I had a, well, had. I still do have a psychology degree. And I remember going to my first job and they fronted up this behavioral test. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I was looking at it going, I know exactly what 
they want out of me in this because you can tell what the end answer is <laughs> so you just structure that so exactly it's hit and miss yeah. especially people know how to not game it but if they know what your intent is rather than you know kind of answering it but yes it's, it's a very hit and miss and i don't think many businesses actually use psychological testing for exactly that reason the testing is one thing but then you have to know how to interpret the tests very well and most people fall over on that mm-hmm. so it's better just to see whether you click with people that's what they talk about right there's a really good framework for um, recruitment and interviewing, which a business coach that we had um, introduced us to. It's called Top Grading. Mm-hmm. It's actually a book called Top Grading. And that's like I'm not disciplined enough to go buy a script in an interview. But um, my brother, for example, was very good at that. He had a psychology degree as well. Um, <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> but that was all about asking just better questions at an interview, such mm-hmm. as what would your former employer say about you doing X or um, that's probably the best the best way I think in that environment and the other question when you say what is it that you'd like people to say about you or what do you think they say about you behind closed doors Mm. that is quite a good indication of how people perceive themselves Mm, that's a good one yeah no it is so anyway for your next Um, interview (laughs) yeah Uh, back to your question so what do we look for Um, You've got got to be hungry in real estate and hungry in terms of ambitious. Like there's no point coming to real estate if you just want to stand in home every now and then because about 80% of a real estate agent's life is spent looking for listings and about 20% of it is spent selling. Ballpark, right? So that changes. Um, The market at the moment, there's a lot more time going into selling. But if you don't have that that internal combustion, like that that enthusiasm, that ambition, that working towards something, um, you won't stay motivated enough to keep going because the other attribute you've got to have is resilience. Like it's tough. Um, you have to constantly sell yourself, which I'd yet to find anybody. Actually, that's not true. I can think of a couple, but there's not many people who are actually comfortable sitting there saying, I am the best because of X, Y, Z. And you phrase it differently, but um, that's an uncomfortable process. And then people make a decision based on you as a person, often, um, about whether or not, you know, they want to appoint you. And if you don't have, you know, a reasonable level of self-esteem and and resilience, then you just get chewed up and spat out. Because it takes about probably almost three years to really find your feet. You make very poor money in that first period of time. And so often people are taking a pay cut to go into real estate. Mm. Um, But if people focus on long-term database, long-term relationships, great customer experience. You know, we have this thing called treasure the lead. So, um, you know, I know that you live up the road now, so <laughs> you might just happen to appear on our database. I'll ask for permission, of course. But, so, but just like you asked you for permission kind of, when you're looking at my gardening, yeah. You, you kind of create that sure. that environment where, you know, every opportunity is gold. Mm. If you do that, then you've got a foundation for um, – you know, a pretty enjoyable business and, you know, potentially some really good income over the long term. Yeah. I mean, I could hazard the guess here that because, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, but to get into real estate, uh, you don't technically need a degree or education as such that there is, I believe, a course, like an accreditation you have to do. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, one of the good things and bad things about real estate is the barriers to entry are super low. Yeah. So historically, you needed to do a five-day registration course and then work for somebody who is licensed. That's right, yes. Um, And what is it now? They're just changing it now where there's um, different levels. It's a little bit complicated, but there's effectively four levels um, of licensing. And you can't just come in and do the five-day course, for example, and 
then be in the industry for 20 years, you've actually got to go through the process of moving up to get your license okay. or you have to fall out. So yeah, I think it's a good thing um, because, I mean, you know, we manage trust money. We've got legal contracts, um, not to mention trust and all those other things. So um, the reason that I mentioned that is exactly what you just said, the fact that the barriers to entry aren't particularly high it means therefore a lot of people would therefore see it as this fallback position. Well, look, if this doesn't work out or if I'm bored with my job, I'll just do some real estate. Mm. I guess what you're saying though is that that in itself might not be a bad thing, but it has to be coupled with the true purpose and intent of wanting to be the industry and working really hard. So in other words, just because it's easy to get into doesn't mean that it's therefore easy to work in and therefore it's most certainly not easy to be successful. So I think that's probably where that interpretation comes from yeah the days of the part-time agent are gone well and truly um there's there's too much expectation around you know speed of speed of contact and customer experience and professionalism so um yeah and and people treat it like a profession now and they invest in their learning and you know their management skills and their growing teams and um it's a good thing i mean even out of the real estate agents that i do know in canberra um, and that's just a handful all of them are still in it and all of them are very dedicated to it. On the flip side, though, so say out of all the people that you induct into the business, work through, what is the follow-up rate? Roughly, I'm, I'm not taking this as a perfect data, but are we saying like, uh, because it's hard and because it requires dedication, you said you need that self-drive to kind of get successful. So let's say within the first five years, do you get, I don't know, a 20% drop-off of people kind of going, eh, this isn't for me? Um, it would be more. Okay. Yeah, it would be more. Um, at a guess, I'd say probably half. Yeah, right. Okay. I wasn't expecting that. You've got to think like you're giving up your weekends quite often. Sure. You're out after hours. Um, you're getting rejected all the time. Um, yeah. And uh, where, where our business has evolved to, um, we've really tried to focus on people building careers rather than just that kind of job. So people come to us and say, okay, well, it's not just turn up, make some sales and, you know, tick along. It's how do we help you grow that to a level where you can put a team member on and, and then you can grow beyond that. And so we have very strong retention in our business, for example, in that, that, that sort of agent pathway or in the property management space. Um, behind, across the industry, I reckon it'd be at least half. Wow. It's tough. Yep. I, wasn't, I wasn't expecting that much, but that rings very true to everything you were saying before that low expectations of entry mixed with the high expectations around the work and you get that. Okay, that's that's very interesting. But we get a lot of people who come in and they, they're kind of happy to do the graft for the first six months, like lots of phone calls, lots of talking to people, being out and about. Um, it's not work that people typically write down they want to do for the rest of their life. Sure. And then they'll get a couple of wins and they'll go, oh, okay, I know how to do this now. And they stop doing all the stuff. Um and they'll 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 trip over in that next that next sort of six months period because they stop doing the things that help them get the wins. Um, so yeah, it's got a high churn rate, definitely, and um, you know that's part of the opportunity in it as well. But mm. um, something that as an industry we need to do better is how do we um, and and it's turning the corner with this licensing process. How do we bring people into the industry? How do we manage their expectations? Exactly, yeah. How do we make them realize that it's a service industry not just a chance to go and drive a nice car or you know wear a nice suit mm. um so that's something that we've all got to be working on on the flip side though i think what i'm hearing uh, being an optimist on this is 
that means that it's not this mass of real estate agents that goes in constantly and that's who's and therefore the job market is then divided by bajillion real estate agents because it seems the better you are the tighter it gets at the top which is great because then you're going to be competing with less but really great professionals which probably end up lifting your standard and the usual thing so in fact from an opportunity perspective it's not such a bad thing to hear that you know because if you make it then you truly make it and you know you've made it because you're good at it but also you've got the drive mm-hmm. and that's what you should kind of worry about rather mm-hmm. than the fact that there's a lot of people easily getting into this profession. That, that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Wow, that's, that's exciting. Um, so maybe tell me about the fact that I guess from everything you said, it does seem like real estate agents, or at least work in it, does require some thicker skin. Is that something that people kind of ought to have before they get into it? Or do you think it's something that you kind of pick up? Now, you've played rugby, so I'm presuming you're not scared of a head-on collision. But um, I'm wondering about that because a lot of people are relatively, well, they don't want to put themselves in the, in the face of confrontation, mm. rejection, all those kinds of things. It hurts. Mm. And if people get blows like that, they tend to not like their work. And then it's this self-defeating cycle. <clears throat> and you have to see this, as you've mentioned, almost as a, a thing that you can beat. And so you need to become resilient. Again, is that something that's taught within an agency such as yours? Does it just come with time? Or do you kind of have to have it a bit originally in order to succeed? I'll oh, probably a bit of both, as you'd expect. Okay. If you are competitive by nature, it's an incredible industry because everything's ranked and measured, and um, and therefore you've got a bit of purpose. If you get you know rejected, it's it's you want to know why you want to do better. Um, but I think it actually helps people build resilience. So um, how how do we work with that? Well, um, we've done a lot of. Uh, well-being type coaching over time um, we do a lot of one-on-one coaching with all of our people um, I mean one of the areas of the business we haven't really spoken about is property management and um, that part of the business is a space where um, you need a huge amount of resilience because um, there's a lot of emotion involved in the sale rental purchase of a home um, but particularly in the rental space if things aren't going right for a tenant um, if you've got somebody whose maintenance hasn't been actioned, if you've got somebody who's in hardship and arrears, um, and that requires that requires a lot of on-the-job coaching, a lot of one-on-one support. Um, you know, often people are going through significant hardship, and you're kind of bound by the legislation for what you have to do for the landlord. But you've got this person; like it, it's tricky. Um, so that's one of the things that we really lean into is um, is skills around you know resilience. There's a lot of mental health discussion in the industry now. It's actually an initiative that was set up called the Rise Initiative by a good friend of mine, Chris Hanley. He's got a great business up in Byron Bay, um, which is totally focused around the, the mental health of the, the real estate industry because it's um, it's tricky. It's tricky. So there's a lot that goes with that. But if you're if you're a, if you're a competitive person and if you care about people, that's like real estate nirvana because then mm. you've got the drive and the ambition, but you'll also clean up and you'll you'll look after people and that builds that that long term. Yeah. Those long-term relationships and opportunities. And maybe, like anything, you have to know what you're getting yourself into. I mean, I think every single profession, I don't I don't know which one wouldn't, but 
I'm sure something exists, but every profession requires some kind of resilience. Mm. There is going to be some kind of I don't conflict. I don't mean in negative sense, but a clashing of ideas even. And you have to know how to take that for its true value rather than taking it personally and, and mm. all the rest of it, right? Mm. But I guess what we're saying here is in the game that is real estate, it's kind of particularly important that that resilience is going to be there. So if people are aware of it, that this is not just all smooth sailing and because we've watched like listing and <laughs> selling the OC, um, yeah. that all of a sudden we think that's what it's like, you know, and even in that show, in fact, they kind of really drill into a lot of, for drama more than anything else, a lot of personality things and all this other stuff, right? Yeah. So even in that, they're giving a glimpse of the fact that this isn't easy. Um, but it's but it's so overshadowed by the glitz and glamour of that particular profession right there, then people might forget. But what you're saying is that it's a balance and people just need to be aware of that when they're getting into it. Yeah, having the, having expectations, clear expectations that you work hard for two or three years and you can earn income that very few people in the community can. Yeah. That's um, where, the, where the actual value add sits within that space. I think that's a question for the, the well, the industry and our communities moving forward. Yeah. What about getting, sorry about my dog going nuts in the background, has decided to play with a toy now. <laughs> what about the um, the resilience of the industry or it getting ready for something that potentially the current and future economic situation might be? So uh, in basic terms, we could probably predict that clearly there is interest rates on the rise. Even Australia, which seems to be relatively healthy from an economic point of view, is going to feel all of this. There is natural um, elements that are taking place, which is obviously making things difficult. But the world in itself is understood to be not particularly well when it comes to the economy, and there might even be talk of a world recession, all these kind of things. So we know it's coming. Yeah. And you've mentioned before that you know houses sold on those themselves for quite some time, which now requires a slight recalibration because there's probably going to be less demand, possibly more property. But apart from the things we're talking about, so better marketing campaigns, better data and all the rest of it, is there anything else that a business does with a kind of resilience? And I'm interested in this because you went through the GFC mm. and you from the background, especially with Macquarie, you really understand not only what happened, but what therefore there is a path out of things. I mean, hopefully, like anything in life, depending how long it takes, there's an up and down economically and, and that's what it is. So... Yeah, I mean, is it a huge concern? Do you do you feel that in the in the industry? Uh, is it something that you're already taking a lot of steps to kind of defend against? Yeah, you you won't see too many of those egotistical social media posts about record price and X above reserve in the next little while. That's for sure. Um, I think one of the hardest things in our role is holding the hand of somebody who has to sell in a market that. They don't want to. Mm. And there's a lot of reasons why people have to sell property. And, you know, being able to help somebody understand and accept a price that maybe they don't want to accept requires a lot of empathy and requires a lot of listening, um, a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of communication and contact. Um, I think sometimes they're the forgotten skills that, that people don't realize because, you know, if, if, if you put your house on the market, naturally the first, the day that that property goes to market, you think it's worth. You know, it's worth what you want to get mm. for it. Um, getting to to what it, the market actually is, that requires somebody to help you understand that. Yeah. Um, and there's two ways of doing that. The old school way is to um, really, you know, force the issue on the vendor, really, really make it difficult that this is all it's worth. And, and that's probably going back 10 plus years, maybe how the industry did it, as opposed to, look, this is a hard conversation. And um, 
being somebody's trusted advisor in that space is a um, it's a real privilege, but it's also a challenge. So there's going to be more and more of those conversations. Right. Um, and they're already happening. Um, you know, cl- our clearance rates went from well, it was insane last year, it was something like 93% on mm-hmm. 600 auctions, like just incredible, down to sort of 50% now and, and balancing back to 60, which is where they always were in an even market. So mm. it's actually just reverting to normal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the skill set in a, in a more normal or typical market is is um, very much about balancing that kind of uh, ambition and that premium price and competition, which is our driver, with the empathy and the soft skills of helping people come to grips with reality. Yeah. So it's interesting because the way you're bracing it is by becoming more human. <laughs> that's, that's what it comes down to. It's been very, like, we can't complain as an industry because COVID was incredibly kind to us. Mm. Like, I remember sitting with our team when it hit, and just thinking, like, well, you know. Like it could have been a like, complete disaster. Could right? have been a complete yeah. disaster. And you never could have forecast, I don't think, at that time. And we just said, look, the most important thing is we'll all be together on the other side and we're going to work it out. And and then things kind of took off and went crazy. But um, it's not an enjoyable market to operate in, um, in the sense that you're constantly disappointing people. When things are going crazy, you've got 12 bidders, Everyone thinks you're a liar because it went for, you know, 300 grand more than everybody told you that they were willing to pay. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there's agents who, 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 you know, have erred on the side of, on the low side with the price guide, for example, but you're constantly disappointing people. People get frustrated. Like it's, it's, it's not, and it's hard to add value sometimes because the competitive forces are so strong. Actually, the job of a really good agent in that environment is to kind of get out of the way. Um, so, yeah, it's it's certainly about, and that's what makes a real estate agent great, is if you've got genuine interest in other people, genuine interest in relationships, and you're thinking long-term. Yeah. that's. I think that's really good advice. So, at least a very interesting insight in terms of how one braces themselves for something that's that's coming. Um, can we talk about Zango for a moment? Is sure. Okay. Yep. I, speak, I mean, we don't have to go into Zango itself. What I'm actually really interested in, in is... How did, out of a conversation, out of a thought, perhaps of you getting really bored, did you step out of the role that you're currently doing and the work that you do and, you know, on top of that particular mountain and then thought of Zango? It did, what I'm trying to figure out here is a kind of process that might have taken place in order to see that kind of opportunity yep. and perhaps one that maybe others haven't seen for quite some time. Because um, I think I like the analogy that you know, standing on top of a, a mountain, then you go right. Well, um, why don't we go to that mountain? And therefore, I'm thinking, well, okay, if we're not doing that, is the idea to build our own mountain upwards? Is is that kind of the idea? Like build stuff on it, big tower. Yeah, getting a bit too physical here, but you get my point. Mm. Um, so you tell me how your mind kind of worked to start working on that idea and actually then then pull it together. Well, it wasn't really my idea necessarily. <laughs> oh, come on, to be honest. No, it was. It's this Zango is this. For those who haven't come across it, it's basically a collaboration of the local real estate industry mm-hmm. um, to come together and build a portal. And um, a really strong driver at the beginning was to bring more price competition to the market because um, there had been a history and a legacy of frustration with increasing price rises over a period of time. Um, By presumably a body that essentially owned the market somewhat? Yeah, that's yes. right. So, so was, essentially there wasn't enough competitiveness in, okay. Yeah, that, that, that would be a fair point, I think. Um, and 
so we, we came together and um, we really tried hard to make it a level playing field for everyone because that was the other criticism that existed was people had special deals or right. there was arrangements, right? And so we were like, everyone competes on the same term and um, but somebody had to organise and bring it all together. And so a few people kind of stepped forward and did that. I was one of those, um, perhaps out of boredom. Um, <laughs> but also this sense that, um, we could create a level playing field for the industry. We could have be part of the conversation around um, data and how that's managed for ourselves, but also for our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that we could bring it local because all the other portal operators are actually national or Sydney-based um, in terms of where their ownership yeah. lives. So that was kind of the motivation. Um, and it's been a hard slog. I tell mm-hmm. you, like these are very strong... You know, the portals are very strong businesses. They've got a big media voice. They've got big budgets. Um, And the industry hasn't acted together. So um, the market's actually fragmented into people who have taken sides. And um, that's been really interesting in a competitive landscape. Um, But on the bright side, price rises have stopped over the last three years, give or take a little. Um, Yeah. They may argue that was because of COVID or what have you, but the reality is that, that they have. Um, there's more choice um, and we're actually uh, able to have a, a much better conversation in the community about, okay, what, what does the community want from a real estate agent? Because we're now collaborating rather than just trying to murder each other at the listing table. So, um, And it's unique. Like We've sung together for th- almost four years now, for the people who are involved. And typically, ego gets involved, things fall over, and and you know they die a death. But here we are, still going. Our market share is pretty good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's been a good journey. So it didn't come out of a proposition of well, a lot of businesses come out of a gap in the market that can be filled by a particular service that that business can provide. Therefore, you get then driven by what is the value that of exchange ultimately providing a profit, and yeah. here we go, right? Yeah. But but it seems like. This came from a different principle, essentially, to create fairness in a market by introducing another competitor, uh, yeah. or at least a point yeah. of difference. Yeah. Not, well, tell me if I'm wrong, but not essentially to beat that other competitor out of the game, but rather to have a comparison. Uh, no, we were, we were pretty ambitious. Okay. We, we wanted to to become the portal in this space and then see how it could be a vehicle for um, for other other regions around the country okay, for how right. the industry could come together and have a seat at the table with this. I think the gap in value is probably the point. There was a, a cost per listing that was escalating and was pretty much the highest in the country. So Canberra homeowners don't realise that they were paying pretty much the highest cost per listing mm-hmm. um, until Zango emerged. Um, and it was that gap between, okay, well, why, why are we paying that? Like, you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that there was one single operator or what that might sure. be construed as, but um, what is the alternative? Okay, well, here's an alternative. How do we run it for profit? We didn't really know at the beginning, and we, we're still working on that. Like, we've uh, raised uh, $7 million so far to get Zango to the point that it is, and no money's come back out of it. It's, it's all in, and it's it's now comfortably at a break-even point. But to remain competitive, you've... Um, you've got to keep investing back in it. So there was this sense when we launched, this was about real estate agents lining our own pockets. And um, at some point in time, it would be nice to see a return on the equity that we've put in. But 
Um, to date, people have just continued to back it, continued to invest in it, mm-hmm. um, continued to promote it and um, to try and bridge the gap. And we have. So being a marketer myself, you know, I've always been taught and do this anyway, that I always tend to step outside of the business and think about the customer. So if I flip it the other way around, how did you find, because obviously we talked about what it meant for the market in terms of real estate agents having an ability to choose different media outlets and ultimately being able to kind of own something for themselves rather than have prices dictated to them by by a single organizer. But essentially, what about the audiences? Um, Was there a conversation around what benefit that might bring? And you did mention that around the community and the data and so on. Mm. So I think that's great. Um, but anything else, do you think audiences themselves also wanted that? So once they found out that, hang on for a second, they didn't even realize they were actually paying so much in terms of Canberra. I'm sure the fact they said, well, now you've got a point of difference in price. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, there's a probably variable audience in there and it's constantly changing and growing. But yep. nevertheless, now you've got an option. Then no one's going to complain about choices. That's what we want. But is there anything else... Apart from that, that came out of it. How does how do sorry Canberrans now perceive you know those channels against each other? Do they like it? Do they use both? Do they pick sides? I'm, I'm yeah. wondering how that works. Uh, it's somewhat geographically driven now. Okay. So in terms of which region you're in, so Zango is stronger in some regions than others. Um, a huge conversation about audience. Like mm. uh, I was somewhat naive of the balance of content versus audience. Um, content being the listings. And so I've learned about that and we've had to invest. That's why we've had to invest so much money is in brand awareness and um, getting Zang. My kids thought I was a bus driver because <laughs> there's so many Zango buses on the road at one point in time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's a real thing. Did the community need it? I, th- I, th- I think today, and the problem is that everyone views their own sales a transaction rather than con- contributing to yeah. a marketplace yeah. and – so does the person selling their home today care if they're paying $1,300 or $1,400? Probably not, but they might care if their kids were paying three and a half grand or, you know, and that that's what it mm. felt like we were on the path towards. So it, it was important to us that we created some choice and opportunity in that space. Um, I think there's a lot of home buyers who are frustrated by it, to be honest, um, because they have to go to both sites and people know they have to check both sites because right. there's listings that are on one site but not the other. Um, but I think that's a conversation worth having. Um, is 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 choice, as you say, yeah. it's choice and it's um, price competitiveness. And to date, that's been a strength of what Zengo's achieved. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think probably what's most interesting about it is whatever stage of that growth of Zengo and its relationship to its audiences and the real estate agents. As you said, it's only been four years. I remember when the whole thing launched, uh, you know, stuff like that kind of catches my eye because I was trying to work out how campaigns are done. And I believe you worked with Coordinate, is that right? Yes, yes, yeah, Coordinate exactly. did some so, of our early marketing, yep. Yeah, and and, and um, in fact, uh, Coordinate sponsors this whole podcast. But by the way, that is not why I'm having this conversation. But <laughs> Hi, Jamie. It's just, yeah, exactly. It's a nice, nice lean-in. But um I, I did find that interesting because I always like to kind of unpick almost campaign from an audience perspective that I don't know anything underneath about them, you know. Mm. Um, but I, like again, I don't, I don't think we're even in a, in a mature stage of it. If it's only been four years, uh, we're, we're probably talking another four years in order to kind of really fill out what this is going to do in terms of its true benefit and probably another 10 years before you then have providers which somehow have their own places in the market and their own benefits. Um. So the booming market was 
we weren't sure of what role that would play for Zango. It's probably good and bad. Every buyer was in, they had so much FOMO that they knew they would go everywhere to find every possible property that was for sale. The minute it hit the market, they wanted to know about it. So that was good for us in an audience sense. The challenge was that because everyone was getting 100 grand more than, you know, they thought they were going to get three months ago, price sensitivity at the listing table around the cost of a portal wasn't necessarily a factor. So um, the fact that we were 20% of that price or 30% or whatever the number um, probably didn't didn't help us in terms of our differentiation. Now going into a market where people are going to be more price sensitive, that's a different conversation now to see how that plays out. Um, but we've also been able to build some audience around um, our MyZango accounts and some of those things, which we hope can keep people stuck on, even if a bit of the FOMO kind of trickles out of the market. So yeah. it's just interesting when you start to think through yeah. these things and the and unintended it, consequences. Exactly. Like we were talking about, you know, the ups and downs of economies, um, and unfortunately the downs we're about to go through or are going through. Again, this will shape businesses and opportunities and other things. And ultimately, you know, you stretch that out over a longer period of time and then you get a real picture of what a relationship of one service provider to another one is and how they actually complement a market. Because mm. um, the thing I was going to say is that uh, quite a few organizations that I've worked for, I remember when I started working at them, um, you know, I'd sit around a boardroom table or what have you, and people there would be talking about a comparison to a competitor and saying, where people don't see us as good as this particular thing, or, you know, how come we don't do that when they do? And I always had to kind of steer them away from it saying, this is not the way to think about it. We can't be defining ourselves by comparison to something else because you will never succeed. You're always working in that shadow then. The way to do it is to truly define what you stand for, who you want to be, and then see it in relationship to your competitors. It's kind of flipping it the other way around. So much so that in at least two organizations, I've changed that culture, not just me, of course, we're talking all the marketers and, and people who are leading the business, but we've changed the culture in a way where you're no longer measuring yourself up by somebody else, mm. but rather by your own standing. And ultimately what happens is you do, somewhat organically and somewhat by design, two relatively large competitors can actually exist side by side, provide slightly different uh, benefits, unique selling propositions, whatever they may be. Mm. And therefore, for customers, audiences out there, they've got the choice of two things, which overlap a little bit at some point, but largely, they define different things, ultimately providing solutions to bigger problems. So it's 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 definitely possible for things to coexist without always being a race to the top. Yeah, um, yeah. Not in everything. But I'm wondering, I mean, who, who knows how this is going to turn out? And maybe, maybe that's exactly going to happen. There is actually a point of difference and not just price. Whether it's the experience, some of the other data that you've mentioned, whatever it may be that mm, I don't know what mm. the future holds, that will be distinctive to what another provider has. Mm. And audiences, especially those who have been exposed to the fact that there's multiple choices, uh, might be absolutely fine to kind of go, yeah, I like the fact that there's two because that's where I go for this information, that's where I go for that information, and I don't yeah. need to go across both. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, that'd be interesting. I agree. See how it all plays out. Yeah, we'll play this back in uh, five years' time and laugh at what I just said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or maybe maybe you can come and help us with some strategy and marketing, Ash. Sure. <laughs> I'd love to, um, if you're ready to ruin your business. Um, <laughs> so the other question I was going to ask is just Canberra. I mean, you obviously you lived in Sydney for a while and you know came back here and you did mention that was because your wife was obviously studying here. And obviously work has kept you here and all the uh, things that have happened but could you f- imagine just as easily 
being and living somewhere else? Or is there something specific about Canberra that's really kept you here? I mean, you, you can't go into a business like real estate and hope to go in for a couple of years and turn around and, and it's not like a startup. It's yeah. a it's a long-term service industry. So um, that has some natural roots in it. Um, I think Canberra is kind of like lightning in a bottle in terms of, um, you know, the market size, the the wages, um, the way that you can reach audience in terms of the cost from a media perspective. So um, I think that being in Canberra, having been born in Canberra, um, you know, having having studied here and having networks here has been a huge factor in, in you know, our ability to grow our business. So, um, you know, we're... Would, 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 would I or we have been successful somewhere else? Um, it'd be different, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I think we've been pretty fortunate that um, we've launched the business when we did, where we did, all those sorts of things. Like it's, it's probably not until you're a bit further down the journey of business that you look back and go, geez, that was actually, you know, that wasn't all me. That was actually good. <laughs> there was actually a fair bit of luck in that and good fortune. But Jim Collins talks about a thing called return on luck, um, which I really like as a concept because – um, it's this, this idea that that everybody, you know, gets some luck in their life at some point in time. But, you know, have you done the graph? Do you have the systems? Do you have the processes? Can you be disciplined? Um, are you thinking long term? And then your ability to turn, you know, a bit of good fortune into something which is maybe more sustainable and longer term um, can surpass others. So um, maybe, maybe a bit of that. But, yeah, no, Canberra as a whole, it's just – and it's such a good place to live now. Like we've got an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a two-year-old, so it's chaos. Um, but getting around all the stuff that everyone says, it's it's just so true. Mm. I remember when we lived in Sydney, I babysat for some people, which was a nightmare because I was like 23 and shouldn't have been <laughs> looking after anyone's kids. But um, And had to drive one to netball and one to oh, – I can't even remember what the other – and it took all day. How long day. was that? It took yeah. all day. Did you find a park? Oh, <laughs> yeah. It was just – and that was every Saturday for them. Yeah. Whereas, you know, we all complain about our fifteen-minute commutes and, you know, think yeah. it's the end of the world. But uh, I lived in Sydney for uh, a while too, just over a year, when I was doing some postgrad studies up there, and I really loved the energy of the place, and actually aesthetically, just really talks to me. But and probably the weather too. But indeed, uh, there isn't like a day that I kind of forget how lucky I am to be able to get in a car and go 15 minutes practically to most of the places that I need to go to. Yeah. And, you know, if I can't find a park in the first two minutes, I'm yeah. like, what's going on? <laughs> it's a nightmare. Yeah. It's interesting. But I catch myself thinking, what am I doing? Like, this is this is great, you know. Mm. And there is that calm and ease about the lifestyle here, which I think is very good for all our health, practically, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I think there was a period of time where people were not not shame, but yeah. you know, of, of people. Oh, Canberra has really changed now. Um, where there's pride yeah. of of what how the community works and you know the food scene and you know to be able to go out and have a good night and all that stuff and it's mm. all right here. And, the and it's a and it's a generous community as well. Um, we're involved in a fundraiser for, um, or I was involved in a fundraiser for a charity called Win the Day, which was founded by a friend of ours for. Um, funding gaps in the support for rare childhood cancers. Mm-hmm. And they raised half a million dollars this year, um, all from local 
Cam Barron's. Still the like, event that just happened on Friday. Yeah, it was on Friday night. So yeah, the musician that I put in is one of the ones that they've reached out to me about. So oh, I'm, I'm connected go. with them and we did another event. But anyway, yeah, small oh, world. Cool. Yeah, no, Christy, Christy, Christy Gitto ran that event. Just did such a good job. Amazing, yeah. Um, but you know, that had um, local rugby teams, not that I'm involved with, but raising like $25,000 from their communities. And it's just like, that's also part of Canberra is we, we tend to give a shit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's a... Hello, dog. Um, <laughs> anyway, I've probably gone on enough about that, but no, no, there's no, no. a lot of positives for sure. Yeah, and, and what I really like about this, because we're kind of at the end, but, you know, the very first thing that I started where you didn't particularly boast about the things that could be, and I'm sure you've got enough of those that you could, but rather you kind of went into, well, I kind of really consider how to be able to do something that involves the benefit of many other people. I think it goes back to this. So... I presume your involvement in charities and so forth. Uh, if I was a real cynic from a marketing perspective, I would say a lot of businesses do it because they need a place in the community mm-hmm. and it's the mm-hmm. right thing to do to be a good mm-hmm. citizen and all the rest of it. But I'm presuming that's not where it's coming out of. Um, and, and from that statement that you made in that podcast, right through to the things that you're talking about here, it almost sounds like it doesn't matter what you'd be working in or, or where, you'd still be involved with charities and organizations that essentially help other people, right? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think so. That's, that's pretty self-serving for me to say yes to Well, to I, that, I'm leaning to that, but yeah. It's... Um, I don't know, it's, it's part of uh, my value set, I guess, how mm. I was raised. And um, it's, you know, I'm very, very ambitious and always have been. And, you know, our, our upbringings tend to shape our, our views on a lot of that stuff, I think. Um, but at the same time, you get more satisfaction once you look after yourself to a certain extent from from watching other people go on. So, mm. you know, Christy with her found that with her charity is a great example for me. Um, I was hopeless in helping with table decorations and seat placements, but in in my I saw my job as giving her the confidence to go out there and, and do what she could do. And that's very rewarding. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. That <laughs> And I don't mean that, you know, your work with charity per se is exactly very functional. There's just an element of it that it clearly works for you as, well, actually, the way that I was talking about as a marketer, looking at an audience and seeing what the benefit to them is, and that's where all marketing, good marketing starts from. I understand that you're also looking at an audience where the benefit is broader than just the business, but rather how that improves their lives. And that's what charities are about too. And essentially trying to see how you could fit into that and ultimately that gives you the positive feelings that you've got, you know. Yeah, positive feelings, and it's good for business. Like, it's, it, I don't think we need to necessarily – I don't think we need to be ashamed that, um, you know, investing back in your community and, and doing good, like, it, it, it works. And mm. that's been our experience. Investing in your people, investing in your communities, thinking long-term. Yeah, and especially since Canberra is as small as it is, and, I mean, growing very quickly, but nevertheless it's tight enough to be very connected. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm sure that if we're out of all the people that we know, we'd know of <laughs> them like quite well, right? Yeah. So, and what's really nice about that is that by giving back into a community, you're essentially giving back to that really connected community. So mm. you get that back for others and then they help other people. Like even just then you've mentioned Win the Day and I just realised I had two things to do with them in the last month, you know. Mm. Mm. Um, so it's kind of really lovely that, that Canberra's 
do this kind of stuff, but it does come from a place where it just must be important to you personally, and therefore you will do something about it. I think that's what it is. And I think that there's there's a narrative here that the industry that you work in and the things that you do, and even the, the birth of Zango in terms of an idea, all of it came out of actually the underlying principle of what we're just talking about right now. So I think it kind of sums up rather nicely, I should think of it now. <laughs> And I didn't even have that in the notes or anything. So there you go. Look, thank you very much for the chat. I hope um, I get to see you when I'm gardening and help me pull out a tree or whatever the hell I was doing. (laughs) Yeah, give me a call. Absolutely. Sometimes I need a bit of broad because I can't do it by myself. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you very much. It's been nice talking to you. Thanks, Ash. So there you have it. That was my conversation with Ben Folks about, well, real estate in Canberra and ultimately about business and what it really means, not only to the business people themselves, but those it impacts around them. If you enjoyed this chat, then perhaps have a look at the back catalogue of previous episodes, as there are likely to be others that you might enjoy, especially in the business or the real estate kind of realm. If there's someone you'd like me to talk to that I haven't yet reached out to, then please let me know. I'm really happy to follow that up. Many of my guests are suggestions from you, the listeners, so thank you for those. The best way to reach me is ashley underscore farod at outlook.com. Oh, if you prefer Instagram, that at behind the bio podcast. You'll be able to get me there. Until the next episode, in two weeks' time, I hope you take care.